Excellent. Okay. We're taking as our reading for today, for each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligent, diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheer, cheer, cheerfully, cheerfully. So that's really where we're coming from. Now, the way this will work is tiny bit of talk from me, sometimes before or after the video, watching the video, and then some questions will go up for you to discuss in your group. Does that make sense? Good. Just checking. Because if it makes sense to you, then it probably might work. So, the first video talks about the difference between talents, skills, and spiritual gifts. And Pete, hopefully, is going to run the video. And I, if the lip sync is out on this, because it was when I looked at the videos on my phone, can you just bear it? Yeah, okay. All right, go. But we also believe we need the presence and the power of the same Holy Spirit that came on Jesus at his baptism and rose him from the dead to be at work in us so we can actually do his work. In other words, we believe that all the gifts of the Holy Spirit at work in the church in the first century are still available today. And they're vital for mission of the church and they're to be earnestly desired in practice. Now, to be clear, we're not cessationists. That is Christians who believe that the overt evidence of the Holy Spirit, especially in power gifts, was only for a time during the apostles' era and when the development of the New Testament ended their need ended too. We believe that the scripture itself and the abundant evidence of the last 20 centuries of the whole church's life actually speak powerfully against this position. At the same time, we admit that there has been a lot of craziness in the church. Some of it related to identifying the Holy Spirit's work and sometimes it's actually related to denying the evidence of the Spirit. Now the Bible tells us to test the spirits in 1 John 4.1, but not to deny they exist. So before we are finished, we're going to look at odd events and these non-normative experiences and discuss ways to determine if we're witnessing an unusual display of the Spirit or something demonic or counterfeit, something psychological or something in between. Now with those preliminaries out of the way, it's time to ask some immediate practical questions. Well, what are all the gifts that the Bible mentions? What do they look like? What does that mean for me? What does that actually mean for our local church? What does it mean for me in private or us in public? Let's start with this. What's the difference between a natural gift, an acquired gift, and a spiritual gift? Natural gifts are something that you get because you're born with them. You could be naturally good at athletics, or maybe you're naturally good at math, which is great, and God can use all of that, but those aren't spiritual gifts. Never confuse those. Then there's another category, and they are sort of acquired gifts or learned abilities. You, you can grow and learn of them. You can go to university or college and get really good at something that you're not necessarily naturally born with. 
but those aren't spiritual gifts either. See, I find it so interesting when I go to hire pastors or I'm meeting with leaders, how many people talk about natural gifts or acquired gifts as spiritual gifts? They're not. Spiritual gifts aren't learned. They're given and assigned. We actually can't even choose our spiritual gifts, even for the best reasons. In Romans and 1 Corinthians, it is clear that Jesus in the Spirit determines which gifts we get, and they come from heaven. Let me give you uh, one great definition that I like. One person wrote, spiritual gifts are given by God through the Spirit's work. They are the qualities and proficiencies received by the Holy Spirit for ministry, which can be developed over time. Okay, so he's differentiating between talent that you're born with, skills that you develop, and spiritual gifts, which are gifts assigned by God. So, question. Does John's division between talent, skill, and spiritual gift work? How does it help to look at things this way? So those are the two questions. I'm just going to give you like five minutes amongst you to discuss. Okay? Yeah? Clear? Good. Okay. What I'm, what I'm really hoping is that you end up with more questions than answers. I think often in church, we like listen to the sermon and then we forget about it when we walk out. And what I'm hoping is that with some of these things, you'll think, oh. And in fact, in preparing this, I've spent a lot of time going, but what if... But what if, and doesn't it say somewhere else in the Bible about this? And it's actually made me go back and look at these things. I think I just want to give you an example about this difference between, um, which I've never really thought about, the difference between talent and skills and spiritual gifts. I think I have a talent for explaining. Right from when I was quite young, I liked order and I liked to explain things and you, you do this and then you do that and then you do the other. And I went into teaching. I'd like to tell you I went into teaching because I was called to it. I went into teaching because my best friend went the year before me to teach a training college. So that was the motivation to become a teacher, right? Really deep. I, when I started teaching, was not a good teacher. My, I did middle school, which means you did up top juniors and lower secondary. My primary practice, the principal of the college had a discussion with me about I might want to think about a different career. Just stop your ears. You haven't heard that when I'm out there with the little ones. Um, okay. And I said, no, I know it's not really little ones I wanted to do. I wanted to do secondary school. I have developed the skill of teaching. I wasn't a natural. Some of my friends were. One of my friends, actually on her primary school teaching practice, was likened to somebody that it would be totally now politically incorrect to liken somebody to. She ended up as the head of a primary school, so maybe it was the principal's judgment. But it was a skill I have developed and I serve in church by speaking. 
But I don't think it's actually one of my spiritual gifts, teaching. I can teach because I have learnt the skill of teaching. Now, there are people who are gifted, spiritually gifted teachers in the church. But one of the things, the questions I was asking is if we're supposed to have all the gifts and the whole body, and if you've got a bit missing, it's like having, you know, your lower leg missing, what happens in small churches? It's fine if you've got a church of, you know, seven or eight hundred, you can probably pick up everybody that's got one of the gifts. That's just a question I'm leaving out there. What happens when it's just a small church? So there's that difference, possibly, between talents, skills and spiritual gifts. And I want to go back to that a little bit later as well. So, we're going to go on and just think about one way of dividing up the gifts. Before we run the video, I want to give some... The first thing to point out is that at the very end, it does say this is not an exhaustive list of gifts. Okay, it's not an exhaustive list of gifts. Oh. No, sorry, that, that John Thompson's list, they are the ones out of the Bible. I am assuring you, what it means is, when it says his list, it's one of the ways. There are loads and loads of different ways of dividing up the gifts. You've got gifts from the Father, gifts from the Christ, you've got this, you've got motivational gifts, you've got... There's all sorts of ways. When it says it's John Thompson's list of, it means his list that he's divided up, which he says is not exhaustive, and he's going to talk about just a little bit about why. Okay, so... Now, all the gifts, and there's at least 21 basic ones in the scriptures, can be broken down into three categories. One person wrote, there are love gifts, there are word gifts, and there are power gifts. And over the next three sessions, we're going to focus on each category. Now, every Christian has at least one gift, yet many of you will have a combination of two or more. Let me work at the definitions. Love gifts manifest the love of God in very practical ways. Word gifts clarify the nature and action and purposes of God. And and the power gifts demonstrate the power and the presence and the reality of God right in the moment. Now, together, the three categories of gifts create an amazing harmony and unity and actually clarity in our church. Think about a three-legged stool. If you're missing one leg, it wobbles. If you're missing two legs, you actually fall right over. Why does this matter? Because a lot of churches only focus on one. And if you only focus on one group, like word gifts or power gifts or love gifts, number one, you're not getting the whole picture. Number two, the stool will always fall down because you become imbalanced. Now, although others may have longer or shorter lists, you're going to find the 21 gifts we have identified in your workbook. Let me just take a quick moment to run through them here. The love gifts are administration, the Bible calls it guidance, helps, mercy, and the spiritual gift of giving. Now, the word gifts are teaching and exhortation, apostleship, leadership, it may be called ruling, pastoring, shepherding, and then evangelism. Now, the power gifts are prophecy in tongues, the interpretation of tongues, intercession, faith, discernment of spirits, healings, works of power, maybe you call it miracles, words of knowledge, and words of wisdom. 
I don't want you to misunderstand how the gifts function. Imagine a golf bag. Some people believe that we have like 21 gifts in that golf bag and you just pull them out depending on the situation. That's actually not what the Bible says. God gives gifts to people for their lifetime and he makes us interdependent. Paul uses the image of a body. He says some of us are eyes or legs or feet or hands and you don't become those things every single day and then change the next day. He's calling us to be interdependent and so we have to understand what we are, what are us. Look at the list which I've given you. Which ones would you easily recognize and how? What ones would you be unsure of? Okay, so looking through the list, which ones would you easily recognize? How? And what ones would you be unsure of? Yeah, sorry, that's in, sorry. Whenever the questions come up, it's a group discussion. Sorry. Yes, Karen. Okay, I'll give you about another another 30 seconds. Okay. I have to hold my hand up and say that I think there are some gifts that we are all called to because it does say in the Bible that we all should prophesy. But I think there's a difference between we all should prophesy and being a prophet, if you understand, yeah? And I think there's some things, especially love gifts, I think there may be people who have a special anointing, but I think we are all called to help to show mercy, to show hospitality, to give, and be ready, if necessary, even if it's sometimes out of our skill set, to actually serve in some of those other areas. But I think there's something special about the fact that God has assigned us gifts. And I don't know what you said about, um, I'm not enough time to take feedback from everybody, about how you would recognise it. But for me, I think it's about, oh, it's really hard because Sue describes it as knowing in your knower sort of thing. It's something in your spirit where you know that person has something above and beyond in that gifting area. And one of the things that's not on there, given that we've got three of them in the meeting at the moment, where does worship leading fit in? Yeah. So I, I, I'm not really sure with that. You know, I'm sure it must be there somewhere. But there are definitely people who... Yes, but I think some worship leaders are very, very encouraging, whereas some worship leaders actually use it in some, in, not in a teaching way as preaching, but in a teaching way like with the themes that they do and things like that. So I'm not really sure. So I think there are things where we are specifically anointed. It says in 1 Corinthians 12, 11, the Spirit distributes them to each one just as he determines. Yeah? They are assigned to us for the common good. 
going back to the idea about small churches, about why, what you do when you haven't got all of them, I think some don't seek the gifts of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 31, it says, uh, you have to eagerly desire. Acts 19, uh, 2, 6, might not have heard of some of them. They answered, uh, no, we have not heard. 1 Timothy 4, 14, neglecting. Do not neglect your gift which was given you. 2 Timothy 1, 6 to 7, some of us lack confidence. It says there, for the Spirit of God does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So that's just my take on it. Because I, I did hear people saying, but aren't we called, you know, etc. Yeah, I think we are. There are gifts that we are all called to. But I think there is some sort of slight difference where you see somebody operating out of their spiritual gift. I can do teens. I can do teens without thinking about it, dropping, you know, whatever. Whether they're playing about, messing up, teaching them, whatever. I can do teens, no problem, out of my skill set. As some of you will know, me and the little ones, it's no different matter. <laughs> I am not operating out of my skill set. And I need God's spirit to be able to... I don't think I'm a gifted young small ones teacher. But I, when I do it, I have to draw on God to be able to do it. And I sometimes have to talk about technical things. I go to Sue... What age can they use what sort of die set? Oh, no, they can use what different sort of die set, etc. Um, but I do know that I can explain things. This might not mean anything to some of you. I can teach bottom set year nines how to draw a pie chart. Okay? Those of you that know I'm mathematically illiterate will be surprised to know I can do that because I do it out of my skill set, not the fact that I can do maths because I can't. Next thing is character. We can look round and think, why does God use that person when they are like that? And working through character weaknesses. So next one, please, Pete. Now, now before we jump into looking at each gift uh, briefly, which we're going to do in the sessions to come, let's pause and look at something else. In 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, we find an extended biblical treatment of the spiritual gifts to which we're going to come back again and again in the sessions to come. They're highly instructional for us, but for Paul, they were also corrective in nature. Lots was going haywire in that local church in Corinth, and these dysfunctions had to be dealt with. Now, their obvious abundance of spiritual gifts wasn't preventing horrendous interpersonal and spiritual problems in that church. In these passages, we will see that Paul shows us time and time again that the goal of a pastor or elders or leadership isn't actually to dismiss or stop spiritual experience in private or in public, but to find out its source, human, demonic, godly, or a mix. And by the way, if the experience is from God himself, no matter how uncomfortable we might be with the expression, Paul wants us to deal with something more important, the motives, the character behind the gift while we're using the gifts. That's why between chapter 12 and chapter 14, chapter 13 is devoted to agape, love, God's love. Now, usually that passage is read by pastors like me at marriages, but actually it's all about community and using God's gifts in the right way. 
The gifts must access an ever-growing place of character, a deep reservoir of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. The gifts of the Spirit need to be undergirded by the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Can I just stop there? Did you catch the convergence? We have the gifts of the Spirit, the disciplines that Jesus used, and we have the character of Jesus called the fruit of the Holy Spirit. In fact, unless the gifts proceed and produce the fruit, they're either suspect gifts or real gifts being used in a suspect manner. Authentic gifts, humbly exercised, benefit the whole body. Paul drives home this point when he declares, now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the, ready? Common good. That verse is the best summary for our, the entire purpose of spiritual gifts. We all as Christians get at least one gift, and the gifts are given for one thing, and one thing only, the common good. To build up, to rebuke, to encourage, to challenge, to bring life into the community and life into a dark world. They're not given for rivalry or jealousy. They're not given for uh, pride. And actually, they're not to be hidden in fear or suppressed for any reason. If you know your Old Testament, think about Moses. God gave him a staff that changed the world. It was a powerful gift given by God for God's work. Both Moses and Aaron used it. And time and time again, Moses used it right. But then he sinned with the gift by wielding the staff in anger. Now, even though it was a gift of God and the staff was used for right and wrong reasons, when it was used wrong, it was damaging beyond belief. You know, I find it so interesting as we explore this that Christians are quick to say that a gift or a person is not of God if their character does not match up with what the Bible is saying. But the Bible repeatedly illustrates that people that God used the most tend to be some of the most broken people. So just as a side note, don't dismiss God's gifts quickly. Real gifts reside in very broken, poor containers. I mean, Paul in 2 Corinthians 4 reminds us that neither the gift nor the power is from us. It's from God. But, and let me lean in this, this is why growing character matters. Because as your character grows, it allows further trust and dialogue about the gifts you're experiencing in your local church. See, God wants to use his gifts through us while he continues to work on us. So God will use people who in the natural we look at and think are unsuitable for that gift. But what we are hoping is that those people are seeking to develop in character so that they are showing the fruit of the Spirit in exercising that gift. So the question, how do you feel about God working through people with character weaknesses? Why is character important when using God-given spiritual gifts? I think this is easier to discuss. I'm going to give you just a couple of minutes talking about that. Is that okay? Okay. I'd, I'd, I'd like you to do something for me. Okay. I want you to stand up if you are perfect. <laughs> I saw that you are standing. One hundred percent perfect. So, 
None of you. <laughs> yeah, but I keep telling you I'm perfect. <laughs> I'll sit down over here. If none of you think you are perfect, you must all have weaknesses. So whoever has an assigned gift is always somebody who has character weaknesses. Right? We all have... Some of us know our character weaknesses. Sometimes we have to have them pointed out by other people um, in a loving way. But we all have weaknesses and character. We are all works in progress. We are becoming more Christ-like. And this thing about conversion is about us becoming more Christ-like. And we will seek to use our gifting and to show the fruit of the Spirit. But we sometimes will fall short. So I don't want you beating yourself up because you think, I can't possibly now, I, I thought I had this gifting, but I can't use it because blah, blah, blah. We, none of us are perfect. We are all operating out of weakness. But the Holy Spirit can overrule in situations so that we may have a weakness of character, but sometimes he can overrule that, and sometimes we have to work through that weakness to actually come to the fruit of the Spirit and to help other people. What, what do we do about the weirdness factor that sometimes accompanies discussions and situations involving spiritual gifts? Well, I grew up as a very conservative evangelical, and I used to dismiss almost everything. But let me give you a different perspective. The question is not about what the spiritual activity looks like in many cases, but what's the source and, and what fruit is produced from that time or experience. I want you to imagine in your mind a plug or a wall socket. The question for Jesus, and actually the critics of Jesus, or Peter or Paul, is not that the experience is right or, or real, or should or should not happen. The question that's really asked is, what power is at work in this moment? In Western cultures, and maybe you come from a Western culture like I do, our current captivity to a materialistic, scientific, atheistic worldview has convinced even most Christians that anything real must be explained and controlled by us. We therefore are set up to be unsettled and confused when we see evidence of power that violates our scientific assumptions, good or bad. See, lots of Christians, many of you watching this video, say you believe in all the gifts. But actually, you're more like gift atheists or gift agnostics. You think it's somewhere else or not for me or not for your church. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Even we as Christians tend to isolate God's power to a small area of spiritually acceptable actions while not expecting God to move. And actually, some of us resist the idea that God's presence might cause repentance to break out or, or the demonic to be unmasked or a message from God's spirit to be uttered in a unique setting. See, we need to wrestle with this. The Bible says we are actually the body of Jesus on earth. None of us, of course, are the head but we all do form one community bound together by the Spirit of Christ, the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead. The power of God and the reign and rule of God is most strongly expressed when we know that we're bound together by Jesus and for Jesus and under Jesus. Yet out of this unity, in Jesus himself, under the election of God the Father, there is diversity in gifts that are sovereignly given by the Holy Spirit. The expectation here is not again for independence or unhealthy dependence, but interdependence.
begin, and I don't really, I don't really know what he was talking about there. Um, I'm very aware of the time. Uh, that might be leave that up there while you're having tea and coffee, and maybe have a chance to talk to each other about it. But really, what I want you to take away is we need to think about the list of spiritual gifts. We need to decide for ourselves between what we think are our talents, our skills, and our assigned gifts. Look at whether you are contributing to the common good and creating and contributing to that interdependence. You can serve from your talents and skills, and many of us need to because we haven't got all the uh, gifting that's necessary, and I do. But we can be much more effective if we're serving the body and the world through our spiritual gifting. And some of the latest sessions, we're going to look at some of the spiritual gifting in more detail. As I said, wasn't necessarily thinking of providing all the answers, more about starting you to think about things and think about questions and think about things. So I'm just going to pray. Sorry, that I said thinking about things three times then. But... Um, Father, we recognise that we as a church are not cessationists. We believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we pray, Lord, that we will see your gifts assigned to us and working through us for the good, the common good, the good of the church where we're with the body and for the good of the world outside. Father, we want to be as like you as we can possibly be. You are our model you used all the gifting, and Father, we want to emulate you. Lord, we pray that where we've got questions and where we're not quite sure, that you will bring clarity and revelation and understanding. For those of us that are not sure of our gifts, Father, we pray that you will speak to them in their dreams or show them in their visions. And Father, we pray that as we move forward, we will be using all. We won't be like that stall with one leg but we will be something that is stable, reflecting you, showing the fruits of the Spirit to be able to build your kingdom so that when we say kingdom come, your will be done, we will be part of that process. Amen. They are just about to fling open the door and tea and coffee will miraculously happen. <laughs> <laughs>